brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with Midi Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at Midi understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And Midi can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Program are not necessarily the views of the station management or staff. Since individual situations can and will be different, please remember this when exercising any options presented by our guests. Success is equated with excess. The ambition for excess wrecks us. As the top of the mind becomes the bottom line, success is equated with excess. This is Care for My Wealth. With Mike Pilch and Chris Klein of Capstone Wealth Management, your fee-only investment firm. Now, here's your Care for My Wealth guys, Chris Klein and Mike Pilch. Welcome in. I am Mike Pilch along with the Care for My Wealth guy, Chris Klein. This is Care for My Wealth with Capstone Wealth Management. A private fee-only financial planning and investment management service. So if you need a financial plan, they're going to build it, then help you monitor and maintain it through smart investment management. To get in contact with them via phone, 866-596-9886, 866-596-9886. Also email them info at careformywealth.com, info at careformywealth.com. I bring in the Care for My Wealth guy, Chris Klein. Welcome into your own show. Hey, thanks for having me into my own show. Boy, what a uh, what a difference a week can sometimes make. <laughs> in many ways, and that's certainly the case in the financial and investment world right now. We'll certainly get into that and what he means by that. Also, a theory lesson on the Dow, a Dow theory lesson, if you will, that has been proven true for over 100 years. We're going to talk about that. Um, reasons to be worried because there's always reasons to be worried. I think uh, the way sentiment is right now, there's a good chance we're going to have a correction coming. Um, just some changes of the markets and you know a lot of that relating to yields right now. So I really don't know where we're going to start, but just talk about, well, let's start this way. Just talk about some of the strange uh, changes we've seen in the last week. Yeah, well, you know, so here's what's interesting. <laughs> I would say, and I think a lot of other people, especially technicians, would say that there's often nothing more bullish about a market or a sector or a, a, a stock or something like that than it hitting new price highs, right? And when, it, when, it, when an index or a sector or, or an individual position hits a new high, what that's done is clear out 
that that degree of resistance or overhead supply that may have existed from previous weeks or months um, in that particular thing, index sector, whatever it might be. And so we've gotten that this past week. You know, we've we've had some really interesting developments. We've we've had this line in the sand, so to speak, on essentially all the major indexes for some time. And every time it got up and bounced to that level, it would collapse. And it hit that level and it'd collapse. We saw that happen in July. We saw that happen in April, May. We saw that happen in end of September, October. And so the question was, is it going to happen again? Well, the difference, of course, is that when you start to look at all the subsets of what's happening, not only in the United States, Mike, but literally across the globe, you're seeing an amazing amount of participation in these what we call breakouts, breaking out above these levels of resistance and, and, and overhead supply. And that's an incredibly positive development that was not here a week ago. So, you know, we have had and we continue to have certain degrees of trepidation because of things that are happening underneath the surface, but we are certainly getting to the point where we're making some shifts and adjustments in the way we're viewing the health of this market for no other reason than we have seen it break above what have been very, very difficult areas for markets to start trading above. And, and they're doing it as we speak, and, and this last week rather. And then, of course, we've had a couple of days where the markets were flat and maybe down a little, but they didn't fall apart. And, and you know, there's always news that's flowing through the cycle that, as you know, I could care less about. Sure. Because it's not the news that matters. It's how the markets react to it. That's what matters. And when markets react reasonably positively to what could potentially be viewed as difficult or problematic or slowing, you know, economic news, well, then, then that tells you that there's a sea change in the behavior of how markets are functioning. So as I've been saying, we have been very short-term cautious. We are intermediate to longer-term bullish for a whole host of reasons. And as I mentioned in last week's show, that short-term trepidation, that short-term cautiousness has caused me to be, well, less than happy. (laughs) And it's caused me to be less than happy because the market has gone up in the face of all the things that typically would cause it to want to correct. I mean... When you start to look at sentiment, sentiment, as you know, is the number, well, I'll give it the number one element on a short-term cycle that causes markets to gyrate up and down, right? There's nothing like like price to change sentiment. When price is really, really high, people get excited, and then price drops, and people get really, really sad. And then market goes up, and then people get really excited, and then, you know, the cycle continues. So when we see extreme fear, we get really excited and bullish. And when we exceed, when we see extreme greed, we get really, really nervous because it's those kinds of conditions that typically can usher in a very swift kick in the bottom. And let's face it, markets don't crash when everybody's scared to death. <laughs> That's not how it works. True. Right? Correct. Mark- it's the opposite. The opposite. Markets crash when everybody is euphoric. Now, I'm not suggesting everybody's euphoric at this point because I I don't think that's the case. However, there is an extreme level of short-term greed that's happening in the marketplace right now. And in Mm -hmm. fact, we haven't seen these levels of current, and I use that term greed loosely, Mike, you know, for, I guess, like a Gordon Gecko, for lack of a better word, 
this greed view is people's excitement about and interest in the stock market, right? Mm-hmm. And we've only seen the, the level that we're at right now. I mean, this past week we hit 91 out of 100. 100 being the most extreme you can get on the excitement, greed, euphoric. Yeah, that's a scary and, number. That's a scary high number. It is. And we've only seen it about two or three other times going back over the last several years. One was in the uh, latter portion of 2016, and another time was in the fall of 2017. Now, here's what's interesting. Those two times where markets hit those levels of of excitement, of of greed, the market kept going up, Mm -hmm. right? Especially in 2016, and the market didn't top until 2018. And then, of course, markets blew up, went up, traded sideways, hit October last fall, blew up again. So here we are at this level right now, and we have two of the three previous instances where when we traded at these levels of of extreme greed, euphoric excitement, the markets kept going up two of those three instances. Will that happen again this time? Great question. Those are the kinds of things we try to ferret out. What we didn't have in 2018, beginning of 2018, when markets failed after having reached a high level of, of excitement, was the, the extent of global participation or the, the amount of breadth, the amount of, um, well, just participation that is happening in markets as a whole. We didn't have that then like we do have now, and so it's a really positive development that that is happening today, that the advanced decline line continues to be on an upswing. And that's not to suggest we don't get little you know, bumps and bruises here and there, but you know, I, I think I identified on, on last week's show how the previous instances where markets crashed, what was a, a precursor to all of that having happened was this advanced decline line just literally dropping out of, the, out of bed, just falling like a rock, and then markets crashed. Well, we don't have that. We have the opposite. We have massive participation. The advanced decline line continues to accelerate and is holding on to really good ground on the upside. All the while, we're seeing a multitude of different sectors and industries and companies and indexes not only here in the United States, but globally, break out above previous resistance or trading ranges. And those are all really good developments. But, and there's always a but, right? What are the reasons to be worried, if there are any, here within this short-term cycle? And when I say short-term, you know, we're typically talking within, you know, weeks. We're not typically speaking, you know, out right. six months plus. Six right. months plus, I'm, I still feel really good about. But it's this short-term cycle that has caused us Lots and lots of grief. One of our algorithms is still telling us, hey, look, there's, there's still not, you know, the, the extent of, of uh, institutional participation that we'd like to see. And so, you know, we, we've got to manage and massage all that stuff and then ask ourselves, are there other things happening that could potentially be causing major institutions to not want to participate, right? And could it be wrong? Could it be that smart money has got it wrong this time? compared to, you know, the retail investor. Well, you know, those are all things that we have to ask ourselves, is it possible? And as we all know, in markets, anything's possible. So um, when I started to really dig into some of this stuff and, and try to identify, well, what's the good and what's the bad? The good is, of course, all the 
things that I just mentioned a moment ago about participation and breadth numbers and advanced declines and breaking out above resistance levels and all that stuff that comes with it. The things that are causing me grief are more happening in the bond market than anywhere else, right? And, and I mean, we have had a sell-off in the bond market, and you can see this. Anyone who is sitting in front of a computer right now and wants a visual, you can go to stockcharts.com and you can open up a picture of what the bond market is doing. And you can look at the long-term bond by entering the symbol TLT, right? That's, that's Tom Lima, Tom. Okay. And we'll, you'll see is the price having just fallen apart. Well, why? Because yields have gone up tremendously over the past month. And, and that's interesting. You remember when we were talking about ad nauseum negative interest rates? <laughs> Slightly. For like a it month was, straight. It, nonstop. It just felt like we couldn't get out of the cycle of this, my goodness, what is happening? The whole world is just changing. And, and that's the way it felt. And, uh, and here we are, all of a sudden, not only not talking about an inverted yield curve, but not talking about even the possibility of negative interest rates at this point. And at the same time, global bond markets working themselves out of negative interest rates. I think I looked at Germany yesterday, and um, like a month ago, they were, uh, I want to say, three-quarters of a percent negative. And as of yesterday, I think they were maybe a quarter percent negative. So they're still negative, but nevertheless, that's a huge recovery in, uh, in, in a fairly short period of time for an economy that ostensibly has been slowing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, has and, and been again, slowing? Not, has been, for sure. Yeah, I mean, you look at some of the manufacturing numbers and you just look at a, a multitude of the other economic data, that, along with a number of different elements that we've seen uh, happening even in the United States, one could make the argument that, yeah, hey, things are slowing down. Okay, well, I get it. It's funny because we talk about all the holiday shopping. I think I saw a story the other day that people are expected to spend on average $637 for their holiday shopping, which to me is a pretty high number, and that yep. you know retail numbers are supposed to be up higher this year. So I that's interesting. I think it's setting up for the possibility of a really nice surprise because analysts have been slashing earnings expectations going forward for the next quarter or two. I I mean, drastically cutting their earnings expectations, not just kind of trickling them down a little bit. And so if we start to see more and more surprises, then obviously that's just going to add fuel to the growth fire, which would be good for markets. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, it's, it's, Time will tell as to what happens to that. GDP forecasts continue to come down. You know, okay, fine. Those are the things that are happening in real time as economists are doing their level best to predict whatever's going on. But as we've said before, you can get economic forecasts all over the map, and and you do. If we laid a thousand economists end to end, they'd all point in different directions, kind of thing. You know what I mean? Mm, I do. <laughs> So we have to recognize that, you know, there's some inconsistency to the data that comes in, but one could certainly make an argument that there has been, and at least till recently, a, a bit of a slow, slowing that's happening. So nevertheless, we're seeing this sea change happening within the investment marketplace. And on the bond side, we've seen this sell-off. That does matter for equities. I mean, at the end of the day, when we start to look at, you know, who cares about bonds? Because I, some people would look and say, oh, yeah, bonds are selling off. Who cares, right? Well, it's a bit of a deja vu because that exact same thing happened in October of last year. 
I mean, the similarity of yields moving higher and then a blowout move to the upside, I mean, that's the same kind of thing that took place. So am I suggesting that it's going to happen again? No. But we have to recognize that last year the move in yields happened in early October, and equities didn't care at first. They just kind of continued trudging along. But then we all know what started to happen on October the 10th. Things really got squirrely. And in the S&P 500 over the past several days have shown a number of indications of indecisiveness. So when you're a technician, you look at a lot of stock charts. And the way you view stock charts can vary from, from thing to thing. And what I mean by that is there are these things called Japanese candles. And you look at them and they give you an indication of either bullishness, bearishness, indecisiveness, things of that nature. A few days ago, a few bearish candles just kind of threw up on some of these charts while hitting all-time highs. All right, well, that's the sort of stuff that we look at and say, hmm, that plays into our short-term thesis that we would anticipate a bit of a sell-off because, well, sentiment has gotten ahead of itself and markets have had a nice little run here, but it doesn't mean we can't be patient and then buy in at lower prices. And then... We've continued to see over the last couple of days these, these indecisive candles show up. Again, similar to what was happening in early October of last year. You know, another question of well, who cares about bonds sort of thing is that we have to take into consideration the VIX and volatility. And, and we have not had exploding volatility in bonds, and at the same time, the VIX not reacting. So... When we look at the, the a comparison between the two, you know, it, it gives you a little bit of a look at, well, every single time that we've seen a spread of the two- and eight-month VIX structure. I know that's a little bit technical for anybody listening right now, but if I showed you a picture of this, every time this spread got to a certain level, it caused a little bit of a pullback in markets. And we saw that happen in the April-May cycle. We saw that happen in the July-August cycle. We saw it happen in the September-October cycle. And it's doing it again. Well, okay, fine. Does that mean it's going to happen again? No, it doesn't. Correlation is not causation kind of thing. But the fact that it's happening, you have to then put that on the ledger and ask yourself, all right, what else is going on that might give us an indication that we should at least be careful with where we're at, while at the same time recognizing that we could be entering a full-on FOMO, fear of missing out, right? And we know that that is, to some extent, taking place over the past week because of the inflows, the risk flows that we've been seeing. We've had, in the last 11 or so days, the longest streak of inflows to global stocks since January of 2018. January 2018 is a fairly important date, and you need to remember that. Mm -hmm. We've had the longest daily streak of inflows to extremely, and I mean incredibly, unloved U.K. stocks. Most people would look at the U.K. and go, ooh, what a hot mess that is. I don't want anything to do with it. Well, all of a sudden we're seeing these massive inflows starting to take place, the longest streak having taken place since November of 2015. Now, for those who forget, the end of 2015, beginning of 2016, were really, really volatile here in the U.S. There was a day in August of 2015 where the Dow opened up down 1,000 points. Yeah. So that volatility is there. Inflows in the past two weeks to emerging market stocks have been up 
to the tune of about $2 billion, high-yield bonds to the tune of about $3 billion, and financials to the tune of about a billion. Now, granted, in the scope of the size of the markets that we deal with, a billion here and a billion there is kind of a sneeze, but it's a big change compared to what had been happening. And that's really what you want to look for is the rate of change. What has taken place and when, and at what point will that become problematic? Um, there was a conversation that was taking place that I had the opportunity to kind of overhear from the uh, Goldman Sachs macro trading desk, and, and one of their traders was uh, commenting that, hey, you know, I always just really kind of take some careful caution whenever I see sentiment on the floor shifting so aggressively, so abruptly. Mm-hmm. Okay, well noted. I mean, these guys see flows that most of us in the investment community don't get an opportunity to see, at least to that extent. So, so I decided to dig into a little bit more deeply of the Dow theory because I've been seeing some people bounce around, well, all this is going to go to heck in a handbasket because we're not getting a Dow transport confirmation to the current Dow Jones Industrial uh, new highs that have been set. I well, I tell you what, maybe it's a good idea we talk about that. Yeah, we'll talk <laughs> so, about it on the other side. We've gone quite a while here in the opening segment. You've gone quite a while here in the opening segment. So he's got to start his Dow theory lesson for us here on the other side. He is the care for my wealth guy, Chris Klein. I am Mike Pilch. Get in contact with him. It's 866-596-9886, 866-596-9886. Or you can email him, info at careformywealth.com, info at careformywealth.com. Now, two guys who care, Chris Klein and Mike Pilch. This is Care for My Wealth. With Capstone Wealth Management, they're a private fee-only financial planning and investment management service. So you need a financial plan, they're going to build it, then help you monitor and maintain it through smart investment management. To get in contact with them via phone, 866-596-9886. That's 866-596-9886. You can also set up an email, info at careformywealth.com, info at careformywealth.com. Dot com. I am Mike Pilch. Back to the care for my wealth guy, Chris Klein. Just talking about some of the changes in the market. And uh, you're expecting maybe a pretty good percentage correction due to sentiment. And we'll try to recap and get into that a little bit more as we move forward. But now a Dow theory lesson and why this is important right now, Chris. Yeah. So, I mean, Dow theory is obviously something that gets bounced around a fair amount and, and sometimes irresponsibly. And, and obviously, you know, anytime someone's talking about a technical view of how markets function that is over 130 plus years old um, and still works, uh, you know, there's a cross section of people that pay attention to that. But there are a lot of nuances that go on inside the Dow theory that I think get misconstrued. I mean, what you normally hear about on TV or read or, or whatever is, is usually not sufficient to give you a full understanding of how it's going on. Right. Mm -hmm. And usually the conversations about Dow theory simply roll around the Dow Jones industrial average and the Dow Jones transportation average. As I said before the break, either confirming or not confirming each other's trends. Right. Right. Yes, that is absolutely part of it, but I'm not so sure it's the most important part that people need to be paying attention to. So, so the idea behind the stock market indexes came from a guy by the name of Charlie Dow, uh, who, by the way, his birthday was this last week. 
had he, you know, not been born in 18, whatever it was, I forget. But nevertheless, um, an odd fun fact is that this past week, which was the anniversary of the birth of Charlie Dow, was the day that the Dow Mm -hmm. Jones Industrial Average dropped by the least percentage in the history of the index. I thought, all right, well, what does that mean? Absolutely nothing. Nothing. (laughs) Just in case you're betting somebody for a beer somewhere, hey, you know, you got a tidbit. Anyway, this guy created the Dow Jones Industrial Average, the companies that produce the goods, and the Dow Jones Railroad Average, which has been renamed, of course, the Dow Jones Transportation Average, but that's the companies that deliver the goods, right? So these two indexes remain a really good gauge of the overall health of the stock market, and it, and it pays to pay attention to them. And the idea is, is that when one of the two indexes makes a new closing high within an uptrend, the other one should too. Or it should do it within a fairly short period of time, in you know, days or weeks, right? If it doesn't occur and only one of the indexes makes a high while the other one diverges or drops, well, then you get something that would be viewed as a warning flag about the ongoing trend the same thing on the way down, right? If we were to reverse it, if one of the two jobs... Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Dow Jones averages is making a, a new low within a downtrend. Well, the other one should be confirming that at least relatively soon after that low happens. Yeah. If it doesn't, it just gives you a heads up that, well, maybe something could be changing. You know, and so if, you're, if we're in a bear market and if we're following these indexes and we're seeing them make new lower lows and lower highs, that's the confirmation of a downtrend. And then if all of a sudden one of them doesn't make a lower low, well, maybe something's going on that we could find ourselves in a confirmation of a reversal at some point. And, you know, there's lots and lots and lots of examples out there. But if, again, someone happens to be listening today and they're sitting in front of their computer and they want a really good, quick example, all you got to do is go back to the dot-com implosion that took place back in 2000. And the Dow Jones transportation average was making a lower low into March of 2003, while at the same time, the Dow Jones industrial average was getting a higher low. And so you had what we called a bullish divergence. And it was just simply evidence of a change in trend that was likely taking place. It wasn't a reversal. It's just a change. But it's a change that you have to pay attention to to see if whether or not a reversal then ultimately happens. So once both of the indexes broke out above their their bases that had been, you know, kind of been in place since May of that year. Again, we're talking about 2003, 2002 timeframe when markets were bottoming out from what was at that time the worst bear market we had seen in a generation, mm-hmm. right? What it did is it signaled that the trend was changing and that more likely than not the trend was now up, which would give an investor an opportunity to be more aggressive, right? 
So if you rewind that just a few years prior, obviously you could see what happened in, in early 2000, right? I mean, if you took a look at a, a picture of the Dow Jones Industrial Average or the Dow Jones Transportation Average back in early 2000, what you'd start to see was a, a marketplace that was, that was closing in on all-time highs. In fact, the Dow Jones Industrial Average made an all-time high uh, like in the, in the summer of 1999. But yet, if you looked at the Dow Jones Transportation Average, it was already down like 16% from its recent highs, which were set in late 1990, 90, or May of 1999. Mm-hmm. Well, now, wait a minute. Holy cow, we've got a pretty monster signal that's taking place. That was not a small divergence. You got one index at an all-time high and the other one down 16%. If you look at January 14th of 2000, that's when the industrials made their all-time highs, okay? <clears throat> the transports, again, were already well on their way towards a, a bear market. That divergence took place almost two months before the historic peak in the NASDAQ. Now, why is the NASDAQ important? Because this Dow theory was rave, waving all sorts of flags, waving all sorts of warning signals saying, hey, something's not right. Well, in case people forgot, the NASDAQ crashed 78% from its all-time highs in the dot-com you know, implosion. Mm-hmm. Now think about that, 78%. What people, I think, sometimes get wrong with respect to Dow theory is that they sometimes feel that because it's so old, it can't work anymore. Like, oh, boy, Dow theory. Right. That's crazy. I don't look at that. What they also sometimes, I think, get mixed up is the fact that they're not buy-and-sell signals. It's just simply a tool to help you to identify the direction of the underlying trend, right? Um, and also, the Dow Jones utility average, which is not part of Dow, uh, uh, Dow theory, um, it didn't exist when Mr. Dow was writing his editorials in the Wall Street Journal because he'd write about it on a, on a daily basis. We do look at this stuff, and you, you know, now that you have these things, you can look at them on, on a regular basis and give you an idea of what's happening, and they're all included in something called the Dow Jones com, uh, Composite Average, which, of course, you'll probably want to look at again and again and again. So there are a lot of Dow theory tenants, and those who have studied the work of, of Charles Dow for lots and lots of years will come to understand that, that it's really quick and easy to become confused about how to use this stuff. And as I said, I think one of the easiest things that people get wrong is the use of it for an in, in, intended to, to uh, give them a buy or a sell signal when it's not intended for that. It's just intended to identify a trend. So let's think about what might be some of the most important elements of Dow theory and see if we can get our hands around how it's uh, giving us an indication of, of what we're looking at today. How right? about we do that? Let's take a break and do it on the other side. Sure. All right. Yeah. Oh. Well, Chris will dive into that on the other side. He is the Care for My Wealth guy, Chris Klein. I am Mike Pilch. Now, Capstone Wealth Management, they're a private fee-only financial planning and investment management service. So if you need a financial plan, they're going to build it and help you monitor and maintain it through smart investment management. Get in contact with them via phone, 866-596-9886. 866-596-9886. You could email them info at careformywealth.com. Info at careformywealth.com. This is Care For My Wealth with Capstone Wealth Management. He is the Care For My Wealth guy, Chris Klein. I am Mike Pilch. This is 
Well, as the voice man said, care for my wealth with Capstone Wealth Management, a private fee-only financial planning and investment management service. So if you need a financial plan, they're going to build it, then help you monitor and maintain it through smart investment management. To get in contact with them via phone, 866-596-9886, 866-596-9886. Also send them an email, info at careformywealth.com, info at careformywealth.com. Now, we've talked about the changes in the market really relating to yields, um, a correction that's probably expected due to sentiment, maybe 2 to 5% here, but... We're getting into Dow theory. Now, this is something that's roughly 130 years old, but it's still relevant and still plays true to today. So don't just say to yourself, ah, it's old. I don't care about it. Well, this is still, you know, a theory is around till it's proven wrong. And, right. you know, that's that's literally the definition of a theory, and it is yet to, to be proven to be wrong. It is still something you've got to pay attention to, Chris. So dive into that. Tell us why we need to know it and what it means. Yeah, and you know, one of the most important elements of investment um, management is to utilize multiple tools, right? I don't know anyone in this business that uses one tool, one tool only, and 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 just relies on it completely. There's there's you have to view markets on a constant changing nature basis, and your tools have to help you to identify certain things that are happening in plain sight and certain things that are happening under the hood. Now, some of the things that happen in plain sight that unfortunately get overlooked, and you wouldn't think that that's possible, but number one, just identifying what the trend is. Mm-hmm. Are, you, are you in an uptrend? Are you in a downtrend? Or is there no trend? Uptrend simply means higher highs and higher lows. Downtrend simply means lower highs and lower lows. And a sideways trend just means that it's range-bound. It just bounces up and down sideways and doesn't do much, Right. There have been lots and lots and lots and lots of participants, sectors, industries, individual companies in the markets who have for basically 21 months been in this sort of a range-bound factor that have recently, as in this last week, broken out above that range. So it's an interesting development that sometimes uh, gets very easily overlooked. The other thing that gets overlooked all the time is looking at these trends in multiple time frames daily, weekly, monthly, right? Mm -hmm. You might look at something that is trending in an uptrend on a daily basis, and then you look at it weekly and go, oh, good grief, it's been range-bound for five years. Well, that gives you an indication that if it does break above that range, it's going to be a really powerful move. The the term that I was always taught is that the longer the the trend, right, The, the the, the longer the base, the higher the space. I've heard that term used before. Yeah. You know, so we have to take into consideration whether or not there are maybe secondary trends inside a larger trend. And you can't do that if you don't look at it on, on multiple time frames. What you have to do is you got to get rid of the noise. And the noise always happens on the shortest term cycles. You know, you'll see people throw around on Twitter and the Internet and stuff like that, minute charts and hourly mm-hmm. charts and all that. All right, well, that's fine if you're a day trader, which, oh, by the way, encompasses maybe one one bajillionth of a percentage of the investment population. Yeah, There's not a lot of day traders out there. It's a dangerous game. Anyone doing it is um, really potentially putting themselves in harm's way. And if they've been doing it successfully for more than two years, God bless them, because it is a tough game. 
So you have to look at the stuff that gives you an indication of quality of trend, and you got to discount the noise. And again, the noise always happens on the really, really short end. It's where financial media likes to focus all their time and attention because it's volatile, you know, and it, you know, they can get excited about it and jump up and down and all that good stuff. But you got to look at primary trends and, again, viewing them within the perspective of is the Dow Jones Industrial Average in a major uptrend and is the Dow Jones Transportation Average in a major downtrend. And then you can identify some things from there. We've got to remember that the averages discount everything. Collectively, investors around the world dictate price action. Mm-hmm. When you take everything that is known around the world, whether fundamental, economic, weather, from the sell side, from the buy side, whether it be retail, price has discounted it all. All the knowledge, everything foreseeable, anything that can possibly affect supply and demand, including human fear and greed, are going to be built into price. And this goes for indexes, this goes for individual stocks, this goes for sectors, this goes for industries, this goes for futures. It doesn't matter. Even the most unpredictable of events, the, quote, acts of God that insurance companies would often uh, talk about in their insurance policies, like, you know, earthquakes or other natural disasters, even terrorist events, all of these things are super, super quickly appraised and almost, not exactly, but almost instantaneously discounted by price action, right? So we talk about all the time how price leads news. And it's absolutely true. The price, I I can show you a thousand different pictures of a thousand different companies, sectors, or industries, and the price will be moving, and then all of a sudden some news will come out to substantiate that move. Or really bad news comes out after six months of the stock or the industry or sector falling apart, down, 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 and boom, then it busts to the upside. People say, well, why in the world did that go up with all this bad news that just came out? Because it's already discounted. It's already in. And now it's discounting the next six months, and it sees something better, basically, is how it's to be viewed. When we're talking about price, what matters the most? Well, what matters the most is the closing price. Now, when you think of Dow theory, since that's the subject we're talking about, it doesn't care about extreme highs and lows within a given day. Dow theory cares even less about what happens in the pre-market or after-hours trading which everybody gets all wrapped up about in earnings season because they want to see, well, how's that company going to open up now that it busted earnings or it fell apart or it's being sued or, you know, you name it. Mm -hmm. Dow Theory could care less about intraday, pre-market, post-market moves. It's the close that matters. All that other stuff is just noise, and it's noise that can be seen within those minor trends that I talked about earlier of the hourly or even the minute-by-minute type focus that you'll hear on, the, on the, 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 you know, the news cycles of financial press. It's all noise. And so those people who get paid to make noise are the ones who pay most attention to that sort of stuff. It's their job to just, well, at the end of the day, make up reasons for why something's going up or down during the prior couple of hours or minutes before something opens. And honestly, I don't know if they have any idea. I don't have any idea. What? Okay, that stock went up six bucks and it's uh, going to open up in uh, two hours and then they're announcing earnings after. Yeah, I get it. It's kind of like explaining why the Packers looked so listless and bad against the Chargers. It's like, well, I I, I don't know. There could be a million reasons right. why, but I, could I pinpoint the reason? I don't know. Yeah. 
but everybody does. Everybody. That's what you're something. supposed to do. So you got to say something, right? <laughs> pick something that looks like it was out of whack, and then say, "Oh, there." And that's something you got to be careful with in the world of investment management. You got to be careful of confirmation bias. In other mm. words, you have a bias towards something, and then you go look for things to confirm it. And so we really work hard to not have that confirmation bias as it relates to us taking a stance or a position into why we're doing certain things that we're doing. But at the end of the day, it's the closing prices that matter. And so for those of us in the real world that want to make money in the market, which is why most of us are doing it, at the end of the day, all you want to look at is what's happening at the close. I mean, how many times have, and, and, and you can look at this in a million different ways, just go look at some charts, but you could see a, a multitude of instances, even over just the past month, where an early morning sell-off turned into a late afternoon rally to close higher, or uh -huh. vice versa. Market opened up huge in the morning and then just faded, 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 and closed in the red. So, look, by the time markets close, which is at 3 o'clock, here in Wisconsin, 4 o'clock New York time, at least for the case of U.S. stocks, then, well, the collective marketplace all around the world has decided and agreed on that final closing price, right? Well, this is basically the price that we want to pay attention to the most because that's the price that everybody agreed on. We're finalizing this price today, right here. It's so, so easy to forget about this, right? I mean, it's so easy to get wrapped up into what happened at the close and then shortly thereafter because most companies announce their earnings after the close or before the open or something along those lines. And so you get this jump or this fall apart, depending upon what might take place. That's not what's important. What's important is what happens at the end of the day. And Fridays are even more important. Friday's closes at the end of the day are the most important closes at all of all. And at the end of the month are super important closes, too. So you can get a picture of how has that month ended up, down, sideways. How has that week ended and contributed to how that month ended? And then, of course, daily. So it's, it's looking at it from a, a multi-perspective uh, uh, element and, and just getting a view of, of multitudes of different time frames. Markets are going to trend by nature, right? We're going to see lots of, of short-term fluctuations that happen day by day. But the odds always favor prices heading in the direction of the primary trend. And that's why the first thing I talked about was, have you identified the primary trend? And whatever that primary trend is, and this is another thing that we, we get, uh, I think, mistaken quite a bit, is, well, how long does it really take? To deal with a trend and, and, and what's taking place for us to say, yeah, that was a trend, so we want to really worry about that. I think something along the lines of like 18 months is enough for us to develop whether or not that trend is real or in place. Right? Yeah, but and then the trend's going to go in a different direction. It could. It could. It absolutely could. You know, we obviously have to first identify what that trend is. And I know that there's no simple definition, you know, of a trend other than a series of higher highs and higher lows for an uptrend, a series of lower lows and lower highs for a downtrend. I get that. Throughout the evolution of the marketplace, including all these technological advances that we've seen over the previous months and years, 
we can just really now easily apply smoothing mechanisms like moving averages, momentum readings, relative strength kinds of numbers, trend lines. I mean, we can use all this sort of stuff to supplement the price analysis just to help identify whether or not that underlying trend is real. Mm-hmm. I get that there's a certain level of subjectivity and, and certainly maturity that is involved with any kind of trend identification. I look at something and someone who is just starting maybe their investment career looks at something, we might see two very different things, right? Some of that has to do just with experience of seeing stuff happen over and over and over and over. You see it in the sports world all the time. A really great recruiter has two guys, and one of them does one thing and another one does another. The untrained eye says, oh, that looks pretty the same. The other guy says, uh-uh, did you see how quick that kid's feet moved? Mm-hmm. That's the guy. I, I, you know. So same kind of stuff. There are always things in terms of subjectivity that can cause someone to have a different viewpoint. But with all the tools available today to help identify whether or not trends are there, the principle that you need to keep in mind is that the probability, and that's the world we live in, Mike. We don't live in certainties, certainly in the world of investment. Mm-hmm. The probability is that always the trend in place is going to continue. An object in motion tends to stay in motion kind of scenario to, mm-hmm. to talk about Newton, you know, <laughs> rather than just reversing. So the, the main point that we want to keep in mind with regards to Dow theory is that trend stuff. Within the trend, there's all sorts of bull and bear market talk. And we've touched on this in the past where, oh, 20% down, that must be a bear market. Well, can anyone with a straight face say that, okay, the market's off 19.9%, but that's not a bear market? I mean, come on, really? That's ridiculous. You'll hear 10% as the, quote, official correction zone. Again, ridiculous. That doesn't make any sense because it's not taking into consideration time. And as we talked about, you have to have time to identify whether or not a trend actually exists. And as I said, 18 months as a rule for the major indexes, I think, is a good rule to use. If markets are making 18-month lows, there's an element of time involved to complete a full cycle, right? If you roll back the clock and look at another time where markets were really, really, really volatile, 2011 is one. And during that time, S&P futures fell like, 22% 22% in four or five months. Was that a bear market? I mean, I don't think that it makes any sense to say that it was. Where's the element of time in that? It wasn't a full cycle. Five minute months is not a full cycle to consider. Let's look at 2015, 2016, which I think is a much better example. In this case, you've got the element of time. If you look at what took place there, there were lots and lots and lots of companies that peaked in the fourth quarter of 2014. October 10th through 14th was a really rough week, and lots of individual companies were really starting to hit their tops and fall over. The Dow Jones transportation average is included in that. But early into 2016, about 70% of stocks in the Russell 3000 were down over 20% from their 52-week highs. I mean, that's the sort of participation that you're looking for to define a trend. Well, where are we today? We're the exact opposite of that. At the beginning of the show, I talked about the massive amount of participation that's happening as these markets, indexes, sectors, and industries break out to all-time highs. Not to suggest that they can't correct a little bit from here and pull themselves back to one of those smoothing mechanisms that I talked about, like a moving average 
or to the previous uh, price highs that they broke out above from doesn't mean that can't and shouldn't happen. It probably should in terms of allowing the market to stay healthy. But the fact that you've got that participation is a massive, massive benefit right now, which did not exist in 2016. And what did we end up with? Well, we ended up with a market that certainly healed, moved up into the end of 2017, and then just flat out collapsed. Yeah. 2018 gave us sideways volatility movement and really sideways movement all up until about this past week when we've seen it start to break out again. All so, right. We gotta, we Participation's gotta, a big deal. we got to take a break. Uh, that was a lot of information to digest, and uh, I'll try to have care for my wealth guy here. Uh, recap all that on the other side. He is Chris Klein. I'm Mike Pilch. This is Care for My Wealth with Capstone Wealth Management. This is Care for My Wealth with Capstone Wealth Management. Chris Klein, in about a minute, some final thoughts for the week. Yeah, not too much. I can get within 60 seconds, obviously. But, you know, the primary trend is really what we want to pay attention to. And it's hard to know exactly where we are right now within this bull market. The three phases would be accumulation, the rally, and then the blow-off top. So we're still developing whether or not we're in that rally-slash-blow-off area. I don't think that we're in the blow-off area. I think that we're just in a position where we could see some turbulence here that gives us an opportunity to enter in at better prices. That's where I think we're at right now. So, How do people get a hold got- of you? Yeah, uh, so you can reach us uh, toll-free, 866-596-9886. You can email me, info at careformywealth.com. If you want to email me right now and just ask for the six major tenants of bull and bear markets, I will give you exactly what Charlie Dow said and how he viewed it and how he used it. So you can email me, info at careformywealth.com, and ask for the bull and bear market tenants from Charlie Dow, and I'll make sure you get that. Talk to you in a week. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.